it's good to be back with you again this evening. Um, I love it again. We sang another song of Zion. Thank you, Steve. You guys have good song leaders here, and they sing good songs. And there's a lot of good songs in the songbook, but I, I told you last night I love singing about Zion. And uh, that would be a great gospel meeting sometime, wouldn't it? Maybe that's what we ought to do again the next time. But tonight we're here to talk about the theme of our gospel meeting last night and tonight and, and tomorrow night is the idea of finding such great faith. Last night we talked about faith and we, we pictured faith from passages such as Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. For without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those or them who diligently seek him. And that's what we really are trying to drill into. What does it mean to diligently seek the Lord? And we saw from the scriptures that faith has magnitude to it. Because faith is not just a it's not just a, an intellectual acknowledgement of God, and in particular of Jesus. But faith is a firm conviction that's coupled with a personal surrender and the action that is in line with that surrender. And so we looked at Abraham last night. Now Abraham's belief in God triggered him to act. The Bible speaks about magnitudes of faith. And we saw... You see when you read through the scriptures, the, like the apostles, Jesus said, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? The reason he was able to, to demonstrate that their faith was little was because their actions didn't align with their confession, right? There were people who were professed to have great faith. And in particular, we saw last night the Roman centurion, who Jesus described as having such great faith because of his faith in the words of Jesus, the power and the authority of Jesus. And so we ask the question, if we could develop that faith in our lives, what would it look like? How would our lives be different than it is right now? And so in the story of Abraham, we saw in the picture of the sacrifice of Isaac, a picture of trusting in the providence of God. We learned that God's going to test us, right? He's going to speak words to us, and we're going to be challenged to obey or we're going to disobey. We saw in the example of Abraham how he obeyed immediately. He was prompt in his obedience. He prepared himself to obey. He persevered in that obedience. And ultimately, he trusted in the providence of God to bring the sacrifice to replace his son Isaac. Tonight, though, we want to think about another way that God allows us to be tested. And we mentioned it last night, but we're going to come back to it tonight. God allows us to be tested through the temptations and the trials that come before us. We remember last night we looked at James chapter 1, verse 13, where let no man say, when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he himself tempt anyone. But, how are we tempted? We're tempted by our own evil desires, right? Well, what happens when we're tempted? And how do we stand up to that temptation? And we noted this last night, but I want, to, I want to focus your attention to it. So let's turn over to 1 Corinthians. And I want you to read with me the passage here that helps us to understand God's faithfulness to us in the face of temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 13. 
No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. First thing we need to understand about temptation is we're not going to be tempted in any way that somebody else hasn't been tempted. In particular, we're not going to be tempted in any way that our Lord hasn't been tempted. He endured all the temptation that we would endure. But, notice the next phrase, but God is faithful. What does that mean? God is going to do what He promises to do. And what is that promise that He makes in particular in relation to to our temptation. He is going to provide a way of escape. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So here's the question for tonight. When we are being tempted by Satan, when we're being tempted to sin, do we trust God's faithfulness, first of all, to not be to allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear? What does that mean then? There's no reason, there's no reasonable reason why we should give in to sin. Does that make sense? From the eyes of God, there is no reasonable, there's no logical reason why we should give in to sin. Because God is faithful, He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. And, He's going to provide a way of escape. But what happens when we're tempted? We forget, we put these blinders on, we feel like, well, that's... I'm the only person that's ever been through this, right? Or there's no other way. I had to do it. What do we tend to do? We tend to justify ourselves, right? We tend to make excuses for ourselves because I had to do it. Because there was no other way. What we need to to learn from the story we're going to see tonight. And oh, by the way, I did promise you I'm going to give you some time back tonight. So I'm going to try to expedite this as much as I can. Because I, I took extra time from you last night. But what we want to learn from this story tonight is how do we bear up under temptation and the answer is going to be I'm going to go ahead and tell you what the answer is going to be it's going to be trusting in God's faithfulness no matter what no matter what can we do that that's a challenge for us isn't it but if we'll strive to do that in our lives we are going to grow towards such great faith so that when we meet Jesus when we meet him he can say I haven't found such great faith in wherever And our lives are going to be transformed in this life, but they're also going to be bountifully blessed in the next life. So let's turn over to uh, Daniel chapter 3. And as we did last night, I'll ask you this question. When I say Daniel 3, you say, what do you remember? Burning, fiery furnace, right? The fiery furnace. Or you can say Daniel's three friends, or you can say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or you remember what their, their Hebrew names were? Hashel, Azariah, and Mishael. Right? We, don't, we don't use those terms because Daniel doesn't write those for us. But I want us to notice here how these young men, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll slip up and I'm going to call them boys through this. I hope you understand I mean that in, in respect. These young men, how they bear up in the face of temptation. And it begins with this, with, with this part of the story. Nebuchadnezzar has set up a grand image, 60 cubits tall, 6 cubits wide. Now, you do the math on that, and a cubit's about the distance from your, get more, your elbow to your fingertip. 18 inches, so you do the math on that. That thing's 90 feet tall, 9-story building, 9 feet wide. He sets up this image in the plain of Dura, 
and he sends out the word to all the popular kids all the politicians and the judges and the dog catchers everybody and the, and the Hollywood stars he gathers all these popular people together and he says I want you to come here and, and we're going to worship this image and I want to pause here for just a second isn't this the way temptation goes sometimes or how we justify the sin when we give in to temptation everybody's doing it right it's everybody is participating. Isn't that what we said when we were kids? Right? Everybody's doing it. All the popular kids are doing it. That's one of the temptations sometimes is that we give in to peer pressure. We give in to we give in to the evil desires because we see a crowd that's running in the direction of sin and we want to go with them. Now, something happens in this story that brings, I think, into perspective something that's going on in our country. So I am going to digress here just a little bit. But I want you to pay attention to this story, and I want you to think about what's going on in this country and what's been going on really for the last couple decades. And I want you to listen to see if you don't see this in the story. Nebuchadnezzar, he sets up an image. Where did the image come from? You notice the God didn't set up the image. Nebuchadnezzar set up the image. He made this image himself and he put it up, right? He calls all the popular people together, all the rulers, all the, the magistrates, the treasurers, the officials. And so when they all get together and they're all gathered around the image, verse 4, then a herald cries aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Everybody who can hear my voice and even if you can't hear my voice, if you come here, this is, how, this is what the rule's going to be. That at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Underline that in your Bibles if you don't have it. I want to reinforce to you that this God did not set up his own image. Nebuchadnezzar set it up. And... Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. I want you to think about what's gone on in this country for the last 30, 40, maybe even 50 years. And how we have slowly seen a progression towards away from God. Maybe that's a more appropriate way to say it. And the progression starts like this. Somebody has a thought that's different than the norm, right? They have, a, they have a deviant thought. That's what I'm going to call it. A thought that's different. It deviates from the norm. And the first step is they want, we want tolerance, right? We know we agree differently, but you tolerate me and I'll tolerate you. And from a certain perspective, that sounds noble, doesn't it? Because we want to be tolerated. Christianity is, it, it, you know, Jesus says there's going to be few people that enter in through that narrow gate. And so from a certain perspective, we're in the minority, Christians are. And so we want to be tolerated. And so we are expected to tolerate other people. But it moves past that. It moves from tolerance to acceptance. Now I have to accept your beliefs. And what we've seen in this country is a very rapid progression from tolerance through acceptance to celebration. 
Now you need to celebrate my difference of beliefs. You see that in the story? Nebuchadnezzar sets up a God and he calls all the people together and he says, I want you to come and we're going to celebrate together. We're going to worship this God together. And when the music plays, everybody's going to worship. But you know what we've moved into now in our society? I would call it the assimilation phase. Now it's not simply that you tolerate these different ideas or these different beliefs. And it's not that you just accept them. And it's not that you, excel, you celebrate them. But now you will be assimilated or you will be destroyed. Right? You think about the different movements that have popped up. Think about evolution and how it's grown from being a theory to being taught in the schools. And if you don't teach evolution, then you're not allowed to teach. You won't have a job in some schools if you don't teach evolution. You think about the homosexual and now the transgender movement. And it's moved from tolerance to acceptance to celebration. Let's celebrate marriage. Now to assimilation. If you don't agree with us, we will take your business from you. We'll shut your church down. You see how this works here? This is, there's, no, there's nothing new under the sun. This is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He sets up an image and he calls everybody together and he tells them to worship it. And if you don't worship by my beliefs and by my worship style, I will destroy you. I'll throw you in a fire furnace. And you can go down the lines and you come to today and you see what's going on. There is nobody of a reasonable mind in this country that thinks what happened in Minneapolis was a good thing. I can tell you that with certainty. But we have a movement in our country that's moving towards, if you don't agree with me, I'll burn your town down. And if you don't believe that, look at the news from yesterday where a leader in this movement in New York City said, if the United States doesn't give us what we want, we will burn this country down and we'll rebuild it in our image. How does a Christian survive in this environment? How do we live in this environment? I'll tell you one thing we've got to do. First off, we've got to stop getting as emotional as I've just gotten right now. And we've got to learn to trust in God's faithfulness that He will do the right thing at the right time. Nebuchadnezzar set up this image and he's called all the popular people. He's got all the Hollywood stars and the actors and the directors. He's got all the politicians there. He's got all the people of power and prestige. He's got all the CEOs of the great companies of, the, of that time. And he's called them all together. And he says, I want you to bow down. I want you to worship this image. And oh, by the way, if you don't, I will throw you in the burning fire furnace. And you know what happens in these movements? Typically, there's some militants, right? There's the pot stirrers. Look at verse uh, 6 here. No, oh, excuse me, verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. And here's what they're going to do. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase this. They're going to remind Nebuchadnezzar of this litmus test that he set up, right? If you don't bow down and worship the image, you're going to be... And then they're going to stir him up. They're going to find the man of authority, and they're going to get him riled up emotionally against these Jews who won't bow down and worship. We see that in society today. We see rebel rousers. They're paid to stir people up. And they do this to Nebuchadnezzar. They get him stirred up. 
And they bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar's hot here. And he, he basically lays an ultimatum at their feet. He says, listen, we're going to do this again. We're going to play this, this psalteries and the harps, and we're going to play the music. And when that plays, and you bow down and worship, good. We're all good. We're all good, right? You've assimilated. But if you don't, listen to what he says. I've got to find my place here real quick. Look at verse 15. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fire first. You're, you're going to be destroyed, right? You're going to lose not just your property. You're going, to, you're going to lose your rights. You're going to lose your life. And notice what he says next. And who is the God who will deliver you from my God's hand? Is that what he says? He says, who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? I'm going to tell you right now, that is the epitome of humanism. Nebuchadnezzar has set up an image, but they're worshiping him. That image is, represented by, is representing Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar set the rules of worship. He set the punishment for worship. And now he says, if you won't worship the way I say, who's going to deliver you from me? And if you look at all these different movements that are going on, you look at all these different things, these currents that are flowing through society, selfishness, humanism, lies at the heart of them. I want what I want, and I want it now. And if you get in my way, I'll destroy you. And so again, we ask the question, how does a Christian live in this environment? How do we survive in this environment? And the answer is, we trust God's faithfulness. We trust that God is in control. That's the theme of the book of Daniel. God is sovereign over the earth. He is in control. When you watch the news, if you stay up and watch it tonight, if you watch the news tomorrow, first of all, I'm going to caution you, I wouldn't watch the news. If you want to get the COVID update, that's fine. But don't get bound up in the things that are going on right now. But if you do watch it, I want to remind you, God is in control. Listen to what these, how these young men answer. <clears throat> Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, I love this. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. What does that mean? You know what that means? This is not open for discussion, right? We're not debating this, Nebuchadnezzar. There's, there's no debate here. We're not going to discuss the principles of God. We're not going to discuss, and I'm going to put some words, we're not going to, we're not going to argue about honesty. We're not going to argue about integrity. We're not going to argue about self-respect. We're not going to argue about mutual respect. We're not going to argue about life. We're not going to argue about worship. There's no need to answer you in this matter because there's no discussion to be had. If that were the case, so if you're going to lay this at our feet, here's how we're going to answer you. This is what such great faith sounds like, okay? This is how such great faith talks. And this is what we need to challenge. Our, when we're faced with temptation, this is how we need to answer. If that's the case, if I'm going to be tempted in this way, Satan, if you're going to bring this temptation to my face, if that's the case, you need to know that we... That, excuse me, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaking you such as common man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, right? But with the temptation will provide a way of escape. We serve Jehovah. We don't serve your image. We don't serve you. And we're not going to bow down to it. And God's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he's also able to deliver us from your hand. Remember the threat that Nebuchadnezzar has? Who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? Jehovah. I trust in him. We trust in him and he's going to deliver us. That's how such great faith talks. But it's not just talk. You know what happens, right? Nebuchadnezzar is enraged. He's overcome with rage. And he tells them to heat the fiery furnace up seven times hotter than it was before. And I want you to take those boys and put all their clothes on them. And take them and throw them in the fiery furnace. And oh, by the way, they, the guys that are taking them up there, you remember how they get burned up too. He doesn't care about these. These are, these are trivial. I want those guys destroyed. They throw them in the burning fire furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar peeks in there. And you remember what he sees? He doesn't see three men walking around. He sees four men walking around. And I don't know how he knows this, but he says one of them looks like the Son of God. He calls in to them and he tells them to come out. So they come out and they start investigating these boys. They start smelling them, right? And they start looking at their hair. Their hair's not singed. Their clothes don't even smell. You, better, you're, you can tell you know, when your spouse has been barbecuing because they come in smelling like smoke. These guys didn't smell like smoke. They, didn't, they weren't burned. They weren't singed. There was nothing. No harm was done to them. Why? Because God delivered him. God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, what you can put up with, but he's going to provide a way of escape. Nebuchadnezzar then makes a proclamation here. And he says, uh, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word, and have yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. That's what such great faith looks like. I'm not going to serve your gods. I'm not going to bow down and worship. You remember what Jesus said when he was tempted. Satan came to him and he said, I want you to bow down and worship. You know what I'll give you? I'll give you all the, the world and all its glory. And Jesus had, it, had pulled out a tool here that even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. He pulled out the word of God. It is written, right? You're only going to worship God here. He, 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 he answers it with Scripture. And so, verse 29, Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their house shall be made in the ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. You know what such great faith does in the face of temptation? Not only does it deliver us, but it testifies to the world of the power of God. Nebuchadnezzar is now starting to believe. Now it's going to take another chapter for him to get to the point where he is truly trusting in Jehovah. He's going to have to go out and spend some time in the, in the pasture. But he's getting there because of the testimony of these young men and their faithfulness. But there's a statement in here 
that I skipped over intentionally that I want us to wrap up on because this is one of those statements, again, that ought to get the hair up on the back of your neck. When you think about being faithful to God, I want you to remember what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said first. We're not going to serve your God. There's no debate here. There's no, we're not, there's no compromise to be made. There's no common ground in this conversation because we're not going to serve your God. Our God's able to deliver us. But notice what they say in verse 18. After saying that their God is able to deliver them from the burning fire first and from your hand, but if not, what does that mean? Does God's faithfulness in the face of your temptation sometimes come in a form that you don't expect? Maybe God's deliverance from temptation isn't the way you thought it was going to be. These boys are saying, we believe God's able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace. We believe He can deliver us from your hand. But even if He doesn't, That's hard to wrap your mind around, isn't it? It reminds me of a prayer that was offered by our Savior in the garden. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But even if you won't, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And you know where Jesus went? He didn't go home free. He went to the cross and he died there because that was God's will. What does it look like in your life when God answers your prayers of deliverance from temptation in a way that's different than what you thought he would? Do you still trust him? Do I still trust him that that's the right answer? They say here, but if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your God, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You throw us in that fire furnace and we burn up, we want you to know we're still not going to worship you or your God. And we're going to trust that God's going to make that work out for good. I told you last night we're swimming in deep water. This is deep water. This is deep spiritual water. When we get to the point where we're willing to trust God's faithfulness, even if it's not what we want, even if it results in death, because God's still faithful. Let's turn over to, just look at two passages here real quick to remind us of the faithfulness of God. The first one is an example that I want to look at. This is the example of Paul and the faithfulness that he's had in, he had in God in his life. Second uh, Timothy. I'll get there eventually. This is what we might refer to as Paul's eulogy. This is his final words. Before that, he have recorded for us anyway. Before he goes off to be executed, 
And Paul's history tells us that Paul's going to lose his head for the cause of Christ. But I want you to listen to how a person of such great faith, how they talk. You remember back in Philippians, Paul said these words, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? If I'm going to keep living, he, he knew that at some point in time he was going to die. I mean, we all know we're going to die. But in, in particular in prison, in the situation Paul's in, the likelihood of dying is pretty high. And his viewpoint was, if I die, that's gain. If I continue to live, that's benefit for Christ. Listen to how he says this in 2 Timothy 4.6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. He knows he's about to leave this world. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse 8, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also, but, all, but to all, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Paul could look back at his history and he could see a string of faithfulness. And he knew it, it, looked, it pointed forward to something. And some might say, well, why did, why did God let Paul be put to death? I can't answer that question except that was his will. So what does God's will look like in our lives? What does it look like for us to trust in God's faithfulness? I want to finish here, and, and to make sure I give you back some time, we're going to go to 1 John, and we're going to read another, another familiar passage. But I want, to, I want you to take something practical home with you. In view of trusting the faithfulness of God in the face of temptation, in the face of all the things that are going on this, in this world, all the things that we talked about, I want you to notice here how God's faithfulness runs through the first chapter of 1 John. Verse 5, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. You see all this darkness going on around the world? That's not God. That darkness does not exist within Him. And so there's a way we can escape from that. He's going to tell us how in just a minute. But we need to understand, first off, that God is not darkness. He is light. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if we're tempted to go into this, if we're tempted to go down this path of, of anger and frustration and to be overcome by the things that are going on in this world, John's to tell us that you're lying to yourself, but you're lying to God. You can't walk in darkness and say you walk in light. We've got to give it up. That's why I'm telling you, when you watch the news, sometimes you just got to turn it off. Don't be overcome with sin. Don't be overcome with evil. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, if we conduct ourselves in a faithful manner, what's going to happen? First of all, we're going to have fellowship with one another and... Listen to the faithful part of this. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
That's what those boys had done back in, in the book of Daniel. We didn't do this, but we could have gone back to first, the first chapter of Daniel, and we could have seen a pattern of faithfulness. This, these boys didn't flip the switch and become faithful to God right there at the, at the foot of the image. They had lived a consistent life. They had walked a pattern of faithfulness to God. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if we say we're, we, we haven't committed sin, we're lying to ourselves. And the truth doesn't exist in us. But look at, look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, listen, He is faithful. I love this. He is faithful and He's just. What does that mean? If we trust in the Lord, He is going to do everything that He said He did. Everything He said He would do. He's faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How's your faith in the Lord's faithfulness? When temptation comes and we're struggling to overcome it, do we trust that God is faithful to deliver us? That He's able to deliver us from that spiritual fiery furnace that we're faced with? That we don't have to give in to it. I don't care how much peer pressure, I don't care how much political pressure, I don't care how much societal pressure, family pressure, personal pressure that we put on ourselves. We don't have to give in to sin. Because God has a way to deliver us and even if He doesn't deliver us in the way that we think He should, He's still going to make it work out for good. That's what finding such great faith, that's what growing such great faith looks like when it comes to trusting God's faithfulness. Last night we saw trusting in God's providence. When He tests us, He's going to provide the solution. When we're tempted, He's going to be faithful to give us the way of escape. And tomorrow night, we're going to talk about trusting in God's salvation. But there may be somebody here that doesn't want to wait till tomorrow night to obey the gospel, to be saved. And so if that's the case, I want to encourage you tonight. I want to encourage you with the invitation to obey the gospel. If you understand Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you understand He died on the cross for your sins, and you want to make the good confession tonight, you want to, in repentance to turn away from that sinful lifestyle and you want to be joined with Christ in baptism, you want to have His, His blood cover you, we can do that tonight. If you're a Christian and you've been giving in to temptation and you're ready to stop it, first of all, you need to know there's other people in here that are struggling with the same things you are. And we're called to support each other and to lift each other and to draw each other out of sin, to pray for each other, but most of all, to love each other and to encourage each other. And the Bible tells us that if we'll confess those sins, if we've obeyed the gospel and we confess our sins, God's faithful and He's just. He'll forgive us of our sins. If you have a need, please don't wait. Make it known tonight. We're going to sing this invitation song and we encourage you to come as we stand and sing.